0: This episode is brought to you by hand sanitizer. Please use it.
1: Welcome back everyone to my fave career chemist. I'm your host, Geraldo.
0: And I'm Becca. Before we get started with today's episode, we wanted to take a quick minute to express how important it is for those of y'all who are from the United States to go out and vote if you're eligible in both the presidential primary and general elections this year. By the time this episode airs, both Geraldo and I will have cast our ballots here in Michigan for Senator Bernie Sanders. We cast a vote for gender and racial equity, healthcare for all, and a system of government that works for the people.
1: We want you to know that this is incredibly important that you get to the polls and make your voice heard. No matter who you vote for this primary in this election year, if we all come together and fight for one another, we have the potential to vote out this abusive president and administration. We need your help to make this happen. You can head to vote.org for more information about where to vote in your state.
0: So with that, here's our show. Welcome back everybody to My Faith Queer Chemist. I'm Becca.
1: And I'm Geraldo. And today we are excited to introduce you to an educator that also has been an LGBTQ plus activist for decades.
2: Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Barbara Belmont. I uh, use uh, she, her pronouns also me mine us we (laughs) yeah so I got a uh, bachelor of science in uh, chemistry and biology from Laverne College that's now known as the University of Laverne in 1977 (laughs) and I went to University of California Riverside for three months and uh, was not ready for grad school. So I left grad school and worked in industry for the the following, the next 25 years. I went to, uh, then I had an opportunity to work on a professional science master's degree in analytical chemistry uh, through Illinois Institute of Technology. And uh, being a grad student, I'm putting air quotes (laughs) <laughs> there because that's the really non-traditional thing qualified me to teach labs at the California State University uh, which I started doing as a favor for a colleague mm-hmm. who needed a lab instructor and when I was done with the uh, professional science master's in analytical chemistry the chem department there realized actually what I'd been doing for the past 30 years and Uh, realized my specialty and invited me to start teaching their quantitative analysis course Mm -hmm. Um, so i've been teaching that ever since which is a sophomore level analytical chemistry course and uh i would say i would characterize my research interests as really science education, uh, chemistry education, and using analytical chemistry tools to give inquiring students an opportunity to have a capstone project. So I do not have a pet project and I'm not trying to save the world uh, through any discoveries. I just want to train young people and give them an opportunity to uh, you know use their higher skills.
1: Yeah I think that's a a really good way to you know, use our skills as scientists and uh, as professionals to train younger people and like make young professionals and help them, you know, find their ways through science or, you know, STEM careers. Yeah. And I
0: think a lot of us forget that All of us at one point started out as chemists in a freshman or sophomore level chemistry class that really sparked our interest and that pushed us to look further into Mm -hmm. this field as a potential career path. And so I think that, yeah, that's incredibly important work that you're doing, which is really amazing. Um, So would you mind telling us a little bit about your time as a graduate student at Illinois Institute of Technology? Um, And did you feel supported as an LGBTQ graduate student? And I guess that also goes along in your time in industry as well. Did you feel supported during that time as well?
2: Uh, all right, well, I think the question about grad school, Illinois Institute of Technology is easier to answer uh, because it's more recent. Mm-hmm. And uh, But recall that I said that this was a very non-traditional mm-hmm. thing right. The majority of, well, all of that professional science master's is a coursework master's. So it's not a research master's. Mm -hmm. And although the um, courses are given live at Illinois Tech, uh, they are also uh, delivered asynchronously over the internet. And so I did not have to actually go there, uh, which is great Mm -hmm. because I was still working i was working and it was designed for working professionals so we we only took a couple of classes a couple of classes a semester by time i started that i was already 48 years old
1: mm-hmm.
2: and i was already way out of
1: mm-hmm. the
2: closet and extremely comfortable with um casually referencing my spouse in in context and conversations yeah. and i received not a single sense pushback we had to do a number of collaborative projects with our uh, our classmates that involved at the time what at the time was really difficult uh because we really didn't have video conferencing yet mm-hmm. uh, the, uh available to us in a way that uh you know was affordable so mostly everything was done by a conference call for collaborations mm-hmm. and our collaborations for right around my dinner time and so there was a lot of conversation like oh my 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 wife is making me cookies. My wife is making me, you know, Um, and and the infrastructure support that I had at home was conveyed to all of uh, my classmates and my professors. And they were all they were they were just odd that I had a support system um, Mm -hmm. like that because most people don't have a, a, a support system at home. So I had no pushback at all. But I think if I had been there in real time, I might have felt that general uh, sort of like I'm the only one thing because, you know, when you look around the room and you don't see anybody with a fabulous haircut, you know, (laughs) you you think that perhaps maybe you're the only one and nobody knows. And and so, uh, you know, I think if I had been there, but the professors pretty much, didn't skip a beat in conversation and in in the end i actually went there for graduation because i felt like you know you have to make a pilgrimage to this thing and and be there and um and you know one of the one of the professors hosted my wife and i uh for a tour of uh argonne uh national laboratory and uh one of my classmates who i knew to be extremely religious and he and his wife joined us for you know our celebration lunch, and you know, not any pushback. it was it was liberating, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But I have kind of formulated this idea that if you're brave enough and you don't make a big deal out of it, that nobody else makes a big deal out of it either. And I don't know that I know that's not true for everyone, but yeah. that's true for my style and my experience. It's just like um, people get to know me. And uh, part of that is me being uh, lesbian, and they they might blink or t- do a, a double take, and then they and then they move on because they just go, oh, oh yeah, I, okay, that explains yeah. something. Um, but you know, it wasn't always really that way. You know, you asked about um, in industry. And so I already told you when I got my bachelor's degree in mm-hmm. 1977 and there was really not, there was hardly anything out there in the world for young people coming out and I uh, I muddied the waters also because I had been married to a man right out of high school because that's what girls my age did. That's what we right. did back then. That's what we were raised to do. Mm-hmm. So so when i started my first job at a pharmaceutical company they knew me as this other person and when i finally came out that involved getting a divorce and moving and i was really not comfortable with telling all the people at work even that i had Left my husband. I just really, you know, it was just so none of their business. And the kind of things that we talked about made me know that, you know, they just wouldn't even begin to understand. You know, like uh, for example, when I finally moved on to a new job, which I used as an opportunity to make a break with my old way and then be the new me. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, one of the first questions my colleagues asked was, "Well, what does your husband think about you getting a better-paying job?" Oh. Uh, So Becca's mouth just dropped, right? Uh, That's the nature of the time back then. Is it okay with your husband if you get a new job? Does he mind if you're going to make more money? That was the nature of conversation back then. It had nothing to do with, well, maybe they were just baiting me, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I did tell some select colleagues people that I felt close to who turned out to be long lasting friends one of one of them I mean now that's more than 40 years ago um, one of them uh, were, were still very close mm-hmm. so there were a couple close friends who I informed and that was that was uh, fine they were with me so long as I was happy mm-hmm. um, and be, even even before I left that workplace there there were some people my age that I kind of joked around with and let let them know in some weird uh, sideways joke that I was a lover of women and uh, (laughs) this this particular colleague actually introduced me to somebody else in uh, at that company who was still trying to figure herself out and she and I wound up being together for about three years but not while we were at that company it was afterwards you know he kind of did a matchmaking thing (laughs) 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 and then Over the years, I've always worked for a very small company. So it was a kind of place where there's no HR department and no no uh, policies or anything like that and everybody knows everybody's business yeah you know you can tell you can tell when you've had a bad day or whether there's a a problem at home or something just by you know the bags under your eyes and there's there's no escaping it and so I did have some pushback uh, with respect to that from my CEO um, which actually kind of shaped how I managed my activism for the rest of my life and that was you know initially when uh, she was going to hire me she said says something like well I know that some people will think that because you're gay I'm gay and that I don't but I don't care what they think you know I'm comfortable in my own self and mm-hmm. I'm thinking all right this is great this is wonderful and then um, I don't know I was talking about some gay pride parade that I'd been in and you know what we you know our our slogans on our signs mm-hmm. that we're doing and then she got really persnickety and she goes don't use this company as a platform for your gay activism. Wow. And so I, you know, I thought, all right, fine. Uh, From here on out, I am never going to name this company in any way in connection with my, my activism. Mm -hmm. And, And I, I decided I would not share the joys of my, and the joys in the, um, the uh, the the successes of activism with her, either, because the little uh, things that I did share kind of got thrown back in my face about not being productive enough because I was thinking about this other thing. You know, yeah. so it turned yeah. out that she was homophobic. and you know, I really strongly resented it so much that i any time I had an opportunity to be, say, in the public light on behalf of chemistry, I made sure that I didn't name that company.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when we showed up, when I showed up in CNN E! News
1: <laughs> about, about,
2: about almost 10 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. nine years ago, when Linda Wang was doing a, a piece about LGBT chemists, um, I made absolute sure that the name of the company was not in there. And then she reads it and she now she's upset because she would have liked that. That would have been good publicity. Right. yeah. you know and I said you can't have it both ways you Mm -hmm. just can't have it both ways and so it was it was a it was just weird and I think some of that was just oh and then another weird pushback Mm -hmm. I had with her this is really weird I had been nominated for ACS fellow and Mm -hmm. because she knew me the most she's supposed to be the lead nominator she turned in a really awful letter I mean she just she was just getting a little demented and not really able to um, write a, a good letter of recommendation. Remargent. And so I didn't, I didn't get it. And she blamed my gay activism on it. She says, it's because you're gay and these people are biased and you need to tone down the gay. If you want to get that. That's- oh my God. <laughs> um, well, actually it's because of my service to national on that hmm. Getting that at she just wouldn't hear she wouldn't hear it. And then she was just like, well, you're better than that person and blah, blah, blah. You know, she's just making all these excuses mm-hmm. and, and saying this. And I finally yelled. you know, I have a really long fuse, but I finally yelled at her. I said, you will stop this right now. This has okay. nothing to do with that. And the person who's biased is you. And stop comparing me to people and you will stop this. And somebody else is going to make that nomination because it was the writing, not gay (laughs) bias. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was just very weird. You know, um, I don't have the experience of a large company uh, and the the usual roots of, you know, safe space and HR policies or anything like that. I really had to just kind of figure it out on my own as we navigated through (laughs) this Time.
0: yeah um so you've done a lot of work in the area of lgbtq plus advocacy in the chemistry field can you tell us how you became so involved and how
2: that sort of began for you well back in the day <laughs> it's like like old time back in the day kids
1: um
2: it was really lonely feeling like the only one you know yeah. that you've experienced it that yourself i'm sure
1: yeah. but yeah. it was
2: even lonelier <laughs> because the kind of support groups that were available to young lesbians in the 70s were really um, like like women's studies, social rap groups. Mm -hmm. And these people were really anti-science. And so I was really uncomfortable hanging out with those birds of a feather. And then it got to the point where I would rather hang out with science people than uh, people who were LGBTQ because uh, there was there was just nothing in common with mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. and I got uh, I found an organization called National Organization of Gay and Lesbian Scientists, and yeah. in particular, a local chapter, Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Scientists, and uh, started hanging out with those people. And I felt like I found, you know, my tribe, so to mm-hmm. speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: And as time went on, some of our colleagues started asking whether we could, you know, have some kind of a presence at the American Chemical Society National Meetings. Back in those days, the way we got news of things out was just to put up flyers and stuff. So somebody had been putting up flyers for a while about uh, meetings. um, And so we would, you know, like have a night out. You know, and we put up flyers and they'd be taken down immediately because not because it was a a gay thing. They'd be taken down because it's just general convention policy that you don't post stuff all over the place. (laughs) You know, they keep keep things where they belong. So in uh, around 1999, a handful of us, along with some very sympathetic staff members, met at an ACS meeting and kind of uh, came up with some sort of strategy to try to get a a, a social event for LGBTQ chemists who were at the national meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, staff people knew that the only way to do that would be to have the uh, CEO sign off on it, the CEO of ACS. And we decided that it might be best to approach ACS through like official channels with National Organization of Gay and Lesbian Scientists. So we right. all declared ourselves to be a special interest uh, subgroup of National Organization of Gay and Lesbian Scientists. And uh, do you mind if I call that Noggle Step? Because those are <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. so ultimately, um, I wrote a letter to the um, CEO of ACS saying, We would like to have a reception for LGBTQ people. We're not asking for any money. We're just Mm -hmm. asking that you give us space and let us announce it in the program for Mm -hmm. the national meeting. And I sent that letter and and I laid down the whole thing, like, you know, why we need role models and Mm. why, why we need this to keep young people in the pipeline. And I even laid down the inclusion in diversity kind of thing and um that letter i don't know what happened to it but i never got a response but what i heard from people on the inside was that it stirred up quite a ruckus like who are these people and why are they asking us for this how dare they (laughs) that was that was how that was in 1999 after a couple of years one of the people in our group was a uh, acs counselor and got the ear of an incoming president mm-hmm. of society and he just flat out asked we need we this is what we want and no one's answering us and so at the discretion of this president incoming president whose thing was diversity mm-hmm. uh he said well of course of course you should have space Mm-hmm. So that's how that's how all that ha- all that happened. It would not have happened if it were not for people on the inside, you know, having access to uh, people in powerful positions. Mm-hmm. That uh, that morphed from, gee whiz, you have this space now, but hardly anyone's coming, and you really need to have you know food and alcohol served. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know we didn't have the budget for that and and so our guy on the inside said well you know we don't have the budget for that why don't you make it a presidential reception and you can sponsor it
1: nice
2: mm-hmm. yeah and, and and that's how it's happened ever since we we talk to the president and say will you set aside a few thousand dollars for us this is a hugely popular reception probably because it has alcohol and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and every year we need to do that. Now, kind of recently, uh, one of the more recent presidents came to me and said, um, you know, how come we're doing this? How come we're, God, we're siloing this diversity group? Why can't you do your thing with the whole diversity reception? And, uh, you know, she really didn't want to sponsor it. And I said, because when you when we have that, you are speaking on behalf of the society saying all people are welcome here and lgbt people are welcome here and i said you have no idea how much this means to us Mm -hmm. and people who come to a meeting for the first time and they see other people with fabulous haircuts (laughs) (laughs) right Yeah. yeah So that's kind of historically, you know, in a a nutshell, how it happened. There's a lot of, you know, written history about it with with great more detail. But it's kind of, you know, where I I was in on that whole thing. But it really was uh, for me about trying to make an environment Mm -hmm. so that the next generation and the ones after that don't say, well, maybe this isn't for me. Because that's how I felt in my three months stint. At real grad school right. <laughs> at UCR. It was like, maybe this isn't for me. I don't see anybody like this. And mm-hmm. I'm having such a hard time. I will say the reason I dropped out of grad school is because I was in love. I'd fallen in love with somebody and my head just blew up and I, I couldn't think. And there were no resources to help me understand that that was even normal and so i just i can't i can't cope right now so i I need need to take a break and go to work
1: (laughs) yeah right well thankfully now we have a lot of support and like programs Mm -hmm. that like care about students and and help them get situations like that
0: yeah and i know we've mentioned on previous episodes that we have been really lucky enough to have a support system even like here at our graduate school and we hope that it's the same at other graduate schools and in other programs across the country because you're right it's hard even now when Mm -hmm. society has changed so much it's still hard if you don't have other friends role models support in your own program Right. to like stay afloat when it's already such a stressful time so
2: yeah it's you know the the, the model of grad school uh, i think the pre-mental health care kind of grad school the the that's you know our grandparents and our great grandparents kind of stoicism of well you know suck it up if you really meant to be here it's going to work out yeah and and that's not really the case. There's just a tremendous amount of stress. And I think that in those olden days, people just would, you know, they would just stop going mm-hmm. grad school or they would wash out because they didn't have the mental health resources. And right. of course, the stigma back then was like, well, if you can't handle it, maybe you're not made for it. Uh, and then, of course, that get that got perpetuated. So I'm just so glad to see that people are starting to. I don't know. It's 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 almost a cu- whole coming out thing into itself. The need for for uh, self care and mental health. Right. And um, so it, it pleases me that this is this is uh, happening more and more.
1: Yeah. So so what's your? I know we talk a, lot, a little bit about this, but what's your opinion on the current state? a representation of queerness in STEM and chemistry. Um, and how has that been different from since you came out and graduate school experience?
2: Well, you know, we've gone from, I must be the only one, mm-hmm. to to having podcasts, to having <laughs> actual thing called Queer Chemist. And uh, let's go back to uh, ACS, for example. Yeah. The Division of Professional Relations created a a subdivision for LGBT chemists. When we first started programming for that, the nature of the programming was initially sort of like laying down the case for visibility because people were still of the attitude of like, well, you know, it's nobody's business. What do we care? You just, so long as you're a good chemist, it's nobody's business. Meaning, as I say, you know, cover your ears and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. I don't want to know anything. but that was the nature of the original programming um, and moving into safe space kind of training stuff mm-hmm. to now simply having symposia that are featuring lgbtq chemists yeah <laughs> that,
1: that looks
2: like uh, it looks like the one that's coming up i think it's like almost two days worth of programming yeah and then yeah. The visibility is just fantastic, even if you're not ready to, you know, talk about your science, maybe you're just getting started and you're not ready for that, or you're not really ready to come out. Just seeing that many people openly, Mm -hmm. uh, openly queer at a conference of blue-suited tight asses. You know,
1: yeah, Yeah. that that helps a lot. And that goes to like some things that we have talked about in previous episodes. And also, you talked in one of your essays that's titled If Only the World Had Known That Sally Ride Was Gay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, referring to Sally Ride, the, the first US woman astronaut. Um, you said the, the consequence is that people in STEM world are surprised to learn that there are queers among them and that people in the LGBT world are surprised to learn that there are scientists and engineers among them. It's like, at this moment, like it's, it's really good that we are no longer so surprised that we are, that there's queer people around us, like, in STEM careers, and other professional careers, yeah, um, that we can relate to, and like, seek support, or, or, you know, like, questions, or just be friends with,
2: yeah, I have great hope for our future, because, you know, it, it because of the increasing visibility, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of like a, a tide that is slowly creeping in, it can't be stopped, mm-hmm. and it won't recede, it can't. And um, as I see it, as young people get more accustomed to this openness that it will become the standard essentially for employment. There are still a lot of people who live in a lot of places where it's not really safe, but mm-hmm. ultimately it will become the standard expectation that you can be you. And so it t- it's taken a tremendous amount of patience. I always say, I play a really long game you know super, i mean pretty much a career's worth of just being patient and nudging people toward what the right thing is but i think you know we're seeing it we're seeing it in our professional society and we're seeing it in uh larger corporations and if we can get over this little bump called this administration you know we'll
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> think we'll be able to break
0: free <laughs> yeah i think yeah slowly but surely we're moving forward yeah so kind of going along with that, if you could give any advice to younger LGBTQ plus chemists who might be undergrads or starting their graduate career and maybe a little lost in in all of this, what advice would you give them?
2: You know, it kind of depends on what kind of lost we're talking about. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the kind of lost of like, I don't know if I'll ever find true love, My advice is just be your best person and and if that will happen, that Mm. ultimately happens. If we're talking about I'm lost and not sure that chemistry is my career, my advice to that is it might not be your career, but we should evaluate why you're wondering why it's not. If if you're feeling like it might not be your career because you're feeling uh, alone and lost and like you'll never get through it because it's so damn hard then my advice is um, this too shall pass mm-hmm. and keep your eye on the long distance goal. If it were easy, not everybody would be able to do it and then there would be not, no, no special thing about it. So yeah. I always give that uh, thing. And then if the, if the question is lost about uh, navigating queer identity and science identity, I'm like, yeah, that's getting better. Just be strong, just mm-hmm. be strong. And brave, because every little step that we take forward helps everybody else. And knowing that it helps everybody else helps you be braver, that's that's what I have to say about that.
1: So who is your biggest role model in chemistry and why?
2: Well, there was this guy at the first place I worked, actually is the second place I worked, and he was a physical chemist who uh, was using analytical chemistry. And he used analytical chemistry to do industrial espionage on our competitors Uh and i was so fascinated with what he did now my my job at that place i was a formulating chemist which was just i hated it from the day i started it but i had every opportunity i used all the opportunities i could to use analytical chemistry to characterize my creations (laughs) (laughs) i'm just laughing i'm laughing at it because Wait till you hear what that was but i hung around with him a lot because of what he did and because he essentially had to train me on the instruments that i wanted to use and so professionally i would say he was my role model because i loved what he did and he, he had previously been an academic so he was an academic who came to work in industry and he was really patient, and I'll tell you a little secret, you graduate with a degree in chemistry, but you still don't know anything, (laughs)
1: because
2: everything you learn is just theoretical, and it's use it or lose it, and so you know he would be really patient in explaining how free radical polymerization worked and how to balance a redox equation he never mocked us for not really knowing he just would say oh this is how it's done so I really really admired him and I would say that he was very instrumental huh, literally in um, <laughs> me me actually understanding that it was analytical chemistry that was my calling. His name was Martin Fuller, and I think he passed away maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago. He was uh, as old as my parents. Gotcha,
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. well thank you for sharing. So where can people find you? Barbara about whether that be Twitter social media email if people want you to-
2: know, I am really digging Twitter a lot I love <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we know, I'm, not, I'm not actually Twitter active I, I am <laughs> when I want to promote something I love just making my own personal bubble in there so that's definitely a place to find find and follow um, it's at analytical BB yeah. <laughs> Uh, people are always welcome to email me uh, through my um, my university account, bbelmont at csudh.edu. And uh, those are probably the two most reliable places. Mm-hmm. Um, I do connect on Link- it, LinkedIn, but I have to be honest, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't like, get it okay, you know, um, wait, the stuff I want to post, I really don't want to put it on LinkedIn. I'm more of a irreverent sharing my science and politics kind of person which i don't think belongs on linkedin so but i will i will connect with you but you won't There will be hardly any anything to to come from me on that one yeah Yeah.
0: and i know you've done um some writing because you've you've shared some of your work with us where can Mm -hmm. people read on on
2: the things that you've written you know what um the best way to get to that would be through my university website okay. Uh, okay. which is csudh.edu slash belmont mm-hmm. and over on the navigation panel on the right side there's a, a, a link to some essays i've written and and the, and the reason i made them public was because i wanted uh, my students to kind of read about all the different kinds of chemistry and stuff yeah but i can't give you a direct uh, url because it's one of those google sites that has some <laughs> yeah that's fine that works, <laughs> no, that works. Decipher, but, but that'll that'll link you to the system to be able to uh, to read that stuff and i love to write and i don't have a lot of time to do that but uh, when i do i stick it up there
0: awesome yeah
1: no that's great
0: so thank you so much for your insightful
2: answers to all of our deep and difficult questions yeah,
1: thank you so much. Hi.
2: Oh, good to meet you and and if ACS Philly is not canceled, I'll see you there. yes
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> who knows
2: who knows what's gonna happen Maybe we'll all have to
0: Skype I, in
1: yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows but Yes, thank you so much, and we'll definitely stay in touch.
1: Yes, thank later. you. And
2: thank you both for doing this work. This is this is fantastic to see <laughs> the, the the next generation taking the the charge on it.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. All right, we'll
0: talk to you later. Yeah. Bye.
1: Have a good day. Bye. Remember to fill out the nomination form on Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at mfqcpod. Additionally, if you'd like to share this podcast with your department, institution, organization, please reach out to us at myfapequeerchemist at gmail.com and we'll send you the appropriate advertisement.
0: Remember to take care of one another out there and remember that no matter your race, sexual orientation, gender or gender expression, religion, country of origin or disability, we love you and we're in this together. And when we come together, true systematic change is possible in this country and in this world. Get out and vote, and please wash your hands. We'll see you all next week. Bye!